RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 5, Episode 8, The Star Trek Format, March 11th, 1964. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, Star Trek fans, Star Trek background fans. Oh, you Star Trek history fans. I guess what I'm saying here is not just you canonistas, but especially all you Trekophiles out there spelled with an F. We've got a special show today. Um, we've... We're actually, on one hand, going back to the roots of Star Trek and going back to the roots of the Trek files. We're going to take a new look, a second look at one of our founding documents for the show as well as the franchise because we've got a special guest uh, finally after five years. So look, take a re-listen, if you will, to this section. Here's a sample coming up, but of course you know. You can always find the documents of the week right there at our Facebook page on on The Trek Files, facebook.com slash The Trek Files. You know the routine. Take a look at the document, listen to this sample, and I'll be right back with this week's very special guest. The Parallel Worlds concept is the key to the Star Trek format. It means simply that our stories deal with plant and animal life plus people quite similar to that on Earth. Social evolution will also have interesting points of similarity with ours. There will be differences, of course, ranging from the subtle to the boldly dramatic, out of which comes much of our color and excitement. And, of course, none of this prevents an occasional far-out tale thrown in for surprise and change of pace. All right, yes, the parallel worlds concept. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't that mean that's how we wound up with original series episodes like the Nazi planet and the Roman planet and the gangster planet? No, it's kind of a conundrum about Star Trek. And I'm going back through some of these founding documents this week because of our special guest, because I wanted to get back at the roots of Star Trek and what we think about it today. And who better to think about that with? Who better to discuss that with than the sun? of our creator here, Gene Roddenberry. Rod Roddenberry, I'm so glad to finally get you on the show here after five years. It was your idea, Rod, so thanks for thanks for sh- taking time today. Well, I, 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 I'm, I love being here, and I, I certainly cannot take credit for this. This was not necessarily my idea, um, but uh, with John and, of course, yourself, you guys are, are trekophiles, as you say, spelled with an F, and you guys uh, love these documents. And I've always loved the documents, too, um, because they're... We're bombarded these days with so many things online, so many opinions. We don't know what's true. Well, you know what's true? The written word. When you have the document, and it was written by whoever you're talking about, um, that is truth right there. And so uh, here you go. It's still open to interpretation, um, but it is truth. Uh, And this is, like you said, uh, parallel worlds. Man, um, I, I think it was great in the 60s, and that was it, in my opinion. Um, I, and, and you said a conundrum. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right, because this document, it's, it's been a while since I've really gone through uh-huh. it, but I do remember um, one of my favorite parts about believability in another part of the document. My father always said, you know, it's important. And he didn't mean believability necessarily with technology. He meant believability in character. He goes through and he makes this sort of reference uh, uh, about a, 
uh, a naval captain mm-hmm. and how a naval captain would respond if I can't remember what the the threat was, but does he does he grab the lady and whip her around and give her a kiss and say this one's this one's for us, baby, or does he respond the way a, a, a captain should respond? And he he was always determined to make sure Star Trek was believable, and as you guys I'm sure have said many times. Um, that is, I think, one of the key reasons it's succeeded. We, we can identify with the character's behavior. Uh, yeah. so, so, so now taking it back, sorry, taking it <laughs> back to these, uh, this uh, um, parallel worlds concept. I, you know, I read this and I scratch my head and I'm like, who, why did he, who was he writing this for? I, I just don't think it's something my father truly felt. I think he knew it was necessary for production and that's it. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, this, that's what I said. I want to take the chance to go look at this because – and I know it's in the script. We've also had the, the second season writer's guide. That's the one you're talking about there. He gives, like, writers mm-hmm. a demo scene. You know, we're about to be mm-hmm. hit by an incoming – let's take it out of space in the future. It's not sci-fi. It's a, it's a captain on the deck of a patrol ship in, in the Viet Cong waters in Vietnam. You know, he made it contemporary. Mm-hmm. And if this was happening to us right now, how would the characters react? And it's that famous little demo. You know, what would you write next? And what's the right way? Mm-hmm. And the believability of the characters. He was also big on believability of the science, right? And, and did, sure, did the best they absolutely. could. But – you go back to the pitch. This is basically the pitch letter that has the 20 different episode ideas in it and all that. And what's funny is I went back to reread it again for this, and nowhere in that pitch document does it say, the format that he lays out, does it say, and we will be aspirational, and we will be future-looking, and we will be, it'll all be about diversity and, you know, social justice and, you know, no poverty, disease. I mean, all the things that we think about um, Star Trek being that made it popular then, much less now, all the things your dad would say later on out loud, they're not in this. And all I can think yeah, of... that's interesting, yeah. All I can think of is, I mean, it's on the nose. It's like, here's a crew, here's a format, here's a thing. And all I can think of is he's, he's pulling his punches to get the show sold because he thought that might be too subversive, you know? I, I think so, yeah. No one wants to be... No executive wants to be beat over the head with, uh, oh, we've got to do a show about morals and ethics. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming... Yeah. You know, my father was a smart man, so I could see perhaps some strategy in this. But this part is so weird to me, as you guys pointed out, because there's a section on believability. This is not believable. (laughs) Going to a Nazi planet is not believable. It was necessary back then. I get it. Now, it's just not believable. He, now, to, um, now, he gets into the springboard ideas, and he's talking about going to old plantations and going to a Roman planet. I mean, in the springboard ideas. But again, it's for one thing, it's 1964, so it's the mm-hmm. TV mentality, it's the TV audience mentality. And he is trying to make it. It has to be uh, makeable. It has to be doable on a budget and time. But on the other – so it's not outright stated. Here's our, here's our progressive – here's the outlook. But you know what? We always say this, and your dad would say this. If if we're going to be flying around in deep space in 200 years, 300 years, it's kind of a given that we didn't blow ourselves up and we didn't poison the planet. So it's almost like he's – it's implied. And it's almost like, well, once we hit our stride and we're writing the stories, that will all be between – the. in other words, it's like between the lines here. And if you, if you zoom it right past uh, whoever's buying you know, the programming – then they know they can do it later on because this is the guy. This is he's doing Star Trek because his racism episode for the lieutenant got censored. So he's in a you know it's he's coming from a he, and he was a big Gulliver's 
travel, Tom, you know, a, a Swift fan, all the others. He was big on metaphor and, and telling a story, but he was in this frame of mind right now. He was pissed about being censored. So you know that was in his mind, but he's smart enough. Yeah, he's not. He's smart enough not to, like you said, hit him over the head with it here. So I'm just saying that for us today, going back and looking at these, someone who searches this, this is the founding document here, and nowhere in it does it say, because so, here's what, I, here's, let's contemporize it. So today, I'm a little baffled when we get in discussions with well-meaning people, as well as people who aren't so well-meaning, um, that say that, uh, you know, they're, they're more on the conservative end of the political spectrum. And when a lot of us talk about Star Trek being all in for diversity and progressive values, and all you know, all of that, and they say, "Nope, you know, I don't. I didn't get that out of Star Trek. I'm I consider myself on the conservative end, and I don't appreciate. You know, the I guess the crude end of this thing is like, what? When did Star Trek turn into an SJW vehicle? And why are they cramming all this progressive stuff down my throat? And that's not what Star Trek. Was. And I look at that askance, but I know there are people that think that, and I, I, yeah. I it's almost like, well, here's here it is. Here's that conundrum in the pitch document. It doesn't lay that out verbatim, but there's. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What do you? What do you? What do you? Where do you? Where do you go on that when you in that kind of a discussion? Or well, you, I, I was just quickly looking at the the, the Robert April um, description a little bit, and you know, he says he's a, a Captain Horatio Hornblower like, mm-hmm. you know, and um, a, a captain who is placed in situations where he must choose right or wrong. And, and does things based on ethics, regardless of what the uh, consequence might be. And, um, you know, I mean, that, that says something right there, mm-hmm. at least about his character. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I think you hit it dead on. Um, I think this document was not meant for us. This document was meant for the producers, the writers, mm-hmm. uh, to give them a sense. And um, for him to go tell them in this that... You need to make stories about right or wrong and, and make the audience think about social situations. Uh, I, I don't think that would work too well. In fact, I'm fairly certain that wouldn't. I feel like there are other versions of this document um, that do speak a little bit more of, well, maybe it has to do mostly with the characters' behaviors and how they right. handle things. Well, again, this isn't but, a writer's uh, guide. This is the pitch. This is the Star Trek yeah. is from... from uh, from uh, sixty four, from March nineteen sixty four, and he's running around trying to sell it to CBS and MGM and and Desilu NBC, um, right? And right. the writers' guides so, bring it out once they're up and running and and they've got they've got a contract to do shows. Uh, yeah. So so to your point, yeah. Then this wasn't meant for the writers to learn how to write for Star Trek. This was, as you just said, for uh, to sell it to the show to the to the and network, he's to the you studio. know and he's he's got the basic idea and he knows it and, and part of this is. Is uh, he's spitballing a little bit because he can't? You can't. One guy can't know exactly what a team is going to, you know, birth eventually, right? There's times when he right. kind of oh, and it changes. He kind of so plays much. Uh, I mean, everything. Changes. He kind of plays eighth grade uh, answer on the history test you didn't spend, you didn't study for a little bit there, you know. Um, and of course, some of this prevents an occasional. None of this prevents an occasional far out tale thrown in for surprise and a change of pace. I mean, he's. He's spitballing a little bit, but it's very true. His description of Robert April here is—I uh, mean, he'd he'd written for Paladin on on Have Gun Will Travel. He was the most prolific writer for that show, and that was all about that was a lone hero. Didn't have a crew with him, a team. 
That was a lone hero, a paladin, out trying to do good and, and live in the gray areas when things weren't black and white and try to make sense of things. And uh, Right. If you, yeah, if you look a lot of his uh, other writings, too, it, it, you always see a bit of that Gene Roddenberry uh, character. There was a, an Australian Western or something like that that uh, someone I, I, I heard someone read, and it was about a character, a, cow, a cowboy without a gun. He chose mm-hmm. to solve his issues without a gun, and I was shocked. <laughs> it, you know, I just heard that like a couple of, a year ago or something like that, and I was like, my God, you know, my father had this vision in everything that he did. He was he was certainly non non traditional, um, and and how he did things. Yeah. Well, how do you, do you – I mean, you get out with fans a lot and go to conventions, obviously, and, and not just conventions but meetings. The foundation is very active. You're there. I, I don't know about that kind of a setting, but when you're out in public at all kinds of public events, uh, you're you, you're head of the foundation, you're head of the entertainment, Roddenberry Entertainment, and most of all, you're your dad's son. So you get into conversations with people. Do you ever get into those kind of conversations where the the quote-unquote politics of Star Trek, whether it exists or not or whether it's there or it's – it's there for whatever people want to take away. Do you ever get into a what, – what's your take on that? I, you know, I certainly don't get into debates, but I'm, I've, I've had conversations and because I'm just not much uh, of one to try to push someone's belief of what Star Trek is. I, I am very opinionated as to what Star Trek is. In fact, um, I would argue I am less of a Star Trek fan in terms of the stories that are out there and more of a fan of the philosophy. Now, this philosophy, as I call it, is it something that my father created or is it something that the fans created? Is it, 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 there's this like gray area of what the Star Trek, how the Star Trek philosophy came to be. Certainly it came from my father in the sense that his writing, his development of the characters and stories. And by the way, not solely his, it was a collaboration, collaboration, but still he was the backbone of it. Um, it certainly came out through there, but at no point do I recall him writing the philosophy of Star Trek is. Um, so it, it, it's an interesting discussion to talk about how Star Trek's, I'm just using the word philosophy, ideology, philosophy came to be. And I do enjoy that discussion. Um, but I'm also just a geeky fan who truly believes in it. I don't care if my father created it. I don't care if the fans created it. I love that idea of a unified future where we no longer fear difference and change. In fact, we, we crave the diversity between us. And we're out there in the universe not looking for weird-looking aliens, but we're out there looking for creatures that look at the universe in a different way because we know we can intellectually evolve from these new ideas. So I love that idea. And I love the idea of ethics. And I love the idea of, uh, of, of, of thinking... You guys have heard me say this kind of thing before, but I've, for the last decade, I've loved the idea of what we think is what we think is absurd today in our society. 10, 20, 50 years from now might be commonplace. And if we go back the same amount of time, you know, we thought uh, bikinis or whatever. I, forgive me, I don't know the history that well, but whether it's bikinis or, or, or language or, or things that we do... Um, we're, we're just criminal back then, and today they're acceptable. So, so it's fun to put yourself if you if you ever get offended or concerned about something that's not socially acceptable. It's if you can step back and say, "But guess what? Fifty years from now, this thing that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, everyone might be doing it." And that is cool. Or the reverse, uh, or the thing about. that everyone accepts now, fifty years from now, might make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. 
I haven't thought about it. I mean, the other way is too. I mean, the Bible, as one document, is full of slavery and and outright. I mean, there are a lot of every hundred years or two hundred years. We, you know, somebody was talking the other day. Everybody used to spit openly until the 1918 pandemic and then everybody's you know then it became a thing not you know there were spittoons and everybody did that and don't just don't spit on the sidewalk that's a good point. i mean there's that's just that's one of a million things but you know things that are on sadly think traumas like you know pandemics or world wars or economic upheaval cause people cause major social shifts and beliefs to change but sometimes yeah, it's just yeah. hard fought you know the women's camp whoever thought women would vote whoever thought People of color, black people would vote. I mean, you know, it's we've exactly, we have had exactly an evolution that. here, you know, and and yeah. there's always and sometimes things come along faster, slower, and there's a mix. But I was just going to say you know. that our evolution is moving a little slow in some of those right, areas. Right. Um, I'm just saying, those of you who love Star Trek out there, who are willing to look at things this way and say, what seems, uh, what is not socially acceptable now, might be socially acceptable in 50 years. Can you transplant your uh, your your intellect into that fifth year and make it socially acceptable now? You know, make it not so bad. Start being more open-minded to something that seems crazy now. You know, it's a fun thing to do. You know, it just hit me. We're always big from day one, too, and and all of us. We're always big on the science projections. Here's the science mm-hmm. we have now. What will we have in fifty, a hundred, two hundred years? Do we do as much with the social projection of how things? No, that's will a great evolve? point. You know, that's, that's yeah, exactly, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Don't, yep. Yeah. Well, listen, Rod. This is this is wonderful. Again, uh, we're five not five years, but five seasons in <laughs> on the show. Yeah, I was gonna say five years. Uh, five, five, yeah, I've been around that long. I, 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 close. Yeah, I misequated mis- there, but no, five seasons in, and to finally have you here on the show and talking about some of these the basics of Star Trek uh, is great. I really hope you can uh, stick around and come back and do another show with us. Absolutely, thanks for having me. That on. is great. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. That's me. It is. Hey. (laughs) All of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more great podcasts, check out podcasts.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at larrynimacek.com. Trek well, everybody. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network